Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. I want you to turn to Luke 24 and just hold your finger in that passage. I'm going to read from there and teach a little bit out of there. Luke chapter 24. You know, I'll tell you a little bit before I get going too much about our trip to Kenya. I was able to to travel with my spiritual father, one of the overseers of this church. Um, he's He's a true apostle. When you think about what the word apostle means in the Bible, Pastor Don Richter is a true apostle. And, um, and he's been in my life since I was a, a boy. I was 14 years old when I met him for the first time. And, uh, and he's been a fixture in my life and has become a spiritual father to me. And I was able to travel with him again to Kenya. And what an amazing time it was. I was telling somebody, actually I was telling several people uh, about the, the amount of time, just the sheer volume of time that we got to spend together. Um, was was unbelievable. I mean, I, I I probably got forty or fifty hours worth of conversation with Pastor Don uh, in our in our trip. We were we were gone for ten days total. We traveled together. We flew together. We ate every meal together. We we were like two peas in a pod together. Uh, and of course, he's he's eighty four years old, and his wife Lois uh, instructed me to stick to him like glue, and so that's what I did. And so our rooms were next to each other in the hotel. Uh, we just we just had amazing fellowship. And I want you to know that beyond me and beyond my wife, you are loved and cared for. Uh, you are you are loved and cared for by people that uh, that you may not even know. Uh, they think about you. They pray about you. Uh, they pray for you. Pastor Don is watching this service this morning. How do I know? He texted me and told me, I'm watching. Do a good job. Okay, I'll, I'll do a good job. <laughs> but you know, we had hours and hours and hours of conversation. And one of the things that we talked about so much, it came out in so many different ways in our conversation was about what it means for a church to have the life of God flowing in it. I don't know if you have ever had the experience of being in a church that, uh, that doesn't seem to have the life of God flowing in it. Uh, I'm not talking about uh, something external. I'm not talking about something, uh, you know, maybe the music is or isn't what you like it to be or, or maybe the preaching style is what you like or isn't what you like. All those things are, are important Uh, All the programs that we do, all the stuff we do is important, but the most important thing is that the life of God be present within the church of Jesus Christ. Um, And my desire, my heart, is that this house, this church, would be a place where Jesus' life is felt, it's transmitted, it's received, it's enjoyed in the life of our church. I'm not interested in another dead church service. Can you say amen to that? You know what? There's a lot of other great recreational things that we can do. I played golf this week. It was fantastic. I had a beautiful time out in the, in the fresh air playing golf. You know, I love golf. I like fishing. I like hunting. I like doing things outside. I like washing my car. I would do all of those things. I'd rather do all of that stuff than come to a dead church service. Amen? I'm just being honest with you. I'd rather do all that stuff then come to a place where God's spirit is not moving, where his life is not felt, because it's the life of God that will absolutely transform the life of a human being. The Bible says in John chapter one that in Jesus was life, and that life was the light to men. You see, the life that Jesus has is the thing that comes into our life, and when it comes into our life, it illuminates for us who God has called us to be, who he's created us to be. It sets us on course. It shows us the will of God, and I'm telling you, that's what I want. I, I would rather have that than have a hundred really polished, entertaining church services. Can you say amen? I was reminded in, in my time in Kenya just how important it is for us to center our focus on the Lord Jesus. You know, we strive for excellence. We strive for all kinds of things uh, naturally. 
as, as, as pastors, as leaders, we, we want our music to be excellent. Aren't you thankful that we have excellent music in our church? We, we, we want you to be greeted with excellence when you come in. We want, we want you know, things to just look really well and all of that stuff's important, but without the life of Jesus, it doesn't matter. All the excellence, all the polish, all the entertainment factor, all the value of the external just fails in comparison when you think about the life of Christ Jesus. I spent, I spent many days with my brothers and my sisters in Kenya who some of them are pastors and leaders of small churches in small villages. Some of the people that I met don't have hardwood floors in their sanctuary. They have dirt floors in their sanctuary. But you know what? You know what binds us together? It's the name of Jesus, the life of Christ, the power of the Spirit of God. I'm not, I'm not interested in trading one for the other. Amen. I, I don't, I don't want to trade the power and the life of God just for good polished services. Amen. And, I, and can I tell you something else? I'm less interested in my comfort these days than I ever have been. We've got nice comfortable chairs and it's a good temperature in here and all that. But you know what? Hooey Louie on all that stuff if the power of God is not present. I mean, I want to see people's lives transformed, don't you? Amen. So we got to be in, in uh, Eldoret, Kenya, which is in the northwest of Kenya, about six hours drive from Nairobi. Uh, if you've ever been to that part of the world, if you know anything about Nairobi or Kenya. Um, <clears throat> it's way up in, it, it doesn't feel like it's in the mountains, but it's at 7,000 feet, so it feels a little different to be in Eldoret than it does even to be in Boone. But we... Uh, we were able to take part in Sunday morning services, three Sunday morning services at IVC, the International Vision Center. Bishop Joseph and his wife, Janet Lacavo have been pastoring there since 2000 and uh, doing an amazing job. Huge church, just awesome. I'm going to tell you what, worship team, y- y'all, the, the worship there was bonkers. It was absolute bonkers. To, to listen to them worship in Swahili, and to sing a song that I know, they, they started singing Jesus Paid It All in Swahili, and I couldn't stop crying. It was magnificent. And here I am speaking, singing it in English, and they're singing it in Swahili, and we're all glorifying Jesus together. It was awesome. They dance. They just have a blast in the presence of God. And there's some things that we in the American church could learn from our brothers and sisters abroad when it comes to expressing ourselves in the presence of the Lord. Amen? And it might make you uncomfortable, but it probably needs to. So praise God. I will tell you, we got to speak in those three um, sessions, uh, uh, three services. The last service was a youth service that I was able to preach at. And uh, there's a couple, couple or 300 youth there, uh, young people. And my God, they're on fire for God. It was awesome. Got to minister to them and it was so profound. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of that week, we did a leadership seminar. And we got to speak to hundreds of Kenyan and Ugandan and Tanzanian pastors. There was people there from three different countries. And, and you know, it just, the crowd grew as the week went along. And, and you're getting to meet all these bishops from Africa. They come from different places in Kenya. And uh, my gosh, to hear their stories, to hear what God is doing uh, in the church, it just fires you up, absolutely fires you up. So I'm here as an encouraged pastor this morning, and I'm excited about the life of Jesus in our church. Amen? Are you good this morning? Everybody happy? Notify your face that you're happy this morning. Just let yourself know it's okay to smile in church. Amen. I will say this, um, you know, in Kenya, they drive on the wrong side of the road. Um, because I know that because we drive on the right side of the road and, and so they drive on the wrong side of the road. But um, the cars are backwards, the wheels on the other side. And, and so we were driving and, and my wife, I was trying to explain to my wife what the traffic was like. Um, and the best analogy that I can come up with is imagine that you and 10 of your friends decide you want to go bowling. Okay. And you're all going to go bowling together, uh, except you only get to use one lane to bowl and everybody bowls at the same time on that lane uh, and, and two or three of your friends are at the other end bowling back this way uh, and somehow none of the balls touch each other. 
And there's an 18-wheeler that drives across the lane halfway through. Uh, the, the, the traffic was unbelievable. But you know, these people are so relaxed and nobody hit, hit, hit each other. Nobody, there's guys, four and five guys on a motorcycle at one time, Frankie. And, and nobody crashed into one another. It was amazing. Nobody was angry. But it was a cluster of madness. But I am glad to be back home. Luke chapter 24. <clears throat> I am... Um, I told the team this morning that today was just going to be a flow service. Uh, <laughs> so we're just flowing with the Holy Spirit this morning. Luke chapter 24, I want to read to you an entire passage, and I'm just ask you to, to, to uh, follow along with me. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. says, now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was that while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know that it was him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which had happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God, and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And a certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, of slow heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures concerning and the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village that they were going and he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And then they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? I want to share with you some of my thoughts from this passage this morning. And if I had to give this message a title, I would call it heartburn. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what an honor to be with you again, to hear from you, to see you. Lord, I pray that you would use the things that I'm saying today as tools to minister to the hearts of your people. Speak to us out of this passage, Lord. Reveal to us your wisdom and your will. Turn the light on in our hearts this morning. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. 
We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And if you believe it, say amen. Amen. So these two guys, we don't know the identity of the second guy, but we know one of them was named Cleopas. And so this, these two men that were walking are not one of the original 12 disciples. But they must have been close enough in proximity to Jesus' ministry that he impacted them somehow. Um, because you can tell that they were committed and loyal to him by the things that they were saying, by the, by the weight of their conversation, um, and, and what they were talking about as they walked. Now, if you back up to the beginning of this passage, you'll see how, in fact, in my Bible, at the beginning of chapter 24, the title says, He is Risen. Does anybody else have that in their Bible? So, so we, know, we, we immediately know the context uh, into which we find ourselves in this story. This is immediately following the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, <clears throat> this is the same day. This is evening of the third day. Everybody knows the third day uh, that Jesus rose from the grave, Sunday morning. Well, this is Sunday evening. Uh, and now we know, according to this story, that these gentlemen had heard that Jesus had risen, that they had spoken at some point to Mary Magdalene and to the other women that came to the tomb and didn't find Jesus. Uh, we, we know that they had spoken at least to Peter and to some of the other apostles there. And I, I have to imagine that they're walking and they're working these things out in their heart. That they're, that they're trying to wrap their head around what has just taken place. Um, it's obvious that their heart is filled with grief because of some of the things that they say. Let's go back and just work our way down through these verses. I don't want to take a terribly long time this morning uh, because I'd rather let the Holy Spirit just do what he wants to do. Uh, how many of you would rather hear Jesus than me this morning? Show of hands, yeah. I'd rather hear the Holy Spirit. Amen. Me too. <clears throat> so they're, they're walking, and, and it says in verse 15 that while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So we, we, have a, we have a kind of a good picture right away of the condition that they're in. They're discussing and reasoning. They're up here in their heads, right? That seems to be pretty obvious from this text that they're walking and talking, and in the midst of this, they're reasoning together. I would like to suppose and propose to you that we as Christians spend much of our lives in that exact same situation and condition. That we spend much of our lives walking through life reasoning. Reasoning internally, reasoning externally, and with one another. How many of you could say with certainty that there's been times in your life that you know, you've just been, you, you, you don't necessarily know which way to go, but you're trying to figure it out. And you're just walking and you're reasoning. Well, what, what seems best? Oh, I don't know. I, well, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we should go left. Maybe we should go right. Maybe we should pursue this opportunity. Maybe we should pursue that opportunity. You know, I don't know. Honey, what do you think? And we get our spouses involved in the conversation and we reason together. And I want to tell you, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, we should reason together. Uh, the Bible says, come, let us reason together. So that's a pretty good indication of what you should be doing. We should reason. There's nothing wrong. You know, God, God designed you with a brain, so use it, okay? Um, we, we, there's nothing wrong with reasoning. But there, there comes a moment in time where we get lost in reason because of the blindness of our own ability our own ability to see and know and understand. You know, <clears throat> this is one of the reasons why prayer is so important. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, we, we won't go there for time, but uh, Romans 8, 26, you actually heard Sean talk about it. Uh, I think it was last week, wasn't it? Uh, we, we, we don't know what to pray for as we ought. Our reasoning comes only to a certain line, only to a certain limit, and then it stops. Our ability to understand everything that we need to understand only goes so far, and then it stops. 
How many of you, despite the, what you know to be true, how many of you think you know everything? Anybody think they know everything? I'm here to tell you, you don't. Neither do I. But we have one who does, who lives on the inside of us. And these guys find themselves in this predicament. They're walking, and we know that, they're, we know that there's some blindness that they're experiencing spiritually. How do we know that? Look at the next verse. It says, but, but their eyes were restrained. Verse 16, Jesus comes to them in verse 15. And then verse 16 says, their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. There was some measure of blindness that these guys were experiencing so that they didn't actually see Jesus. I wonder what that must have been like. That you had spent so much time around the Lord watching him preach to the multitudes, watching him raise the dead, watching him heal the sick. Maybe, maybe Cleopas and the other guy, maybe they were with the disciples that day when Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fishes and fed 5,000 people. Maybe they were part of that. But now for whatever reason, they're trapped in their reasoning. They're burdened by their grief and they're blinded from recognizing who Jesus is. Again, we spend far too much time in this position. We spend far too much time in this scenario. And Jesus says to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad. I always thought that was a little, di little dig by Jesus. Like, hey, fellas, I can tell you're sad. What's the deal? And he says, are you the only stranger in Israel? Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Don't you know what's going on? I bet later on after he realized who it was that he was talking to, he probably pretty, felt pretty dumb for asking that question. Have you not known these things which happened in these days? And Jesus, still playing dumb, says, well, what things? And here it becomes very telling where their heart actually is. And, and if you find yourself in this situation, listen, be encouraged because the Holy Spirit wants to be your helper this morning. They said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. Is that true? Was Jesus a prophet? It's not a trick question. Was Jesus a prophet? Some say yes. Some say no. Yeah, of course he was a prophet. But he was more than that. He was the Christ. He was the Messiah. Last time I stood up here preaching to you, I preached you a message about how Jesus is building his church. And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, these gentlemen understood a component of Jesus, but they were, they, they were reluctant to call him the Christ. They were reluctant to say that he was the Messiah because their grief was so strong. It says... Do you know, let's look at verse 20, how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him? Verse 21, this very telling, very telling verse. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. They're like, man, Jesus came and he was this amazing prophet and he did some incredible stuff. We got to watch it happen. It was amazing. We were really, really hoping that he was going to be the Messiah. And now he's dead. <coughs> and you can hear the grief in these guys' voice. Indeed, besides all this, today's the third day since all these things happened. And now they start to tell the testimony of how he rose from the dead, but that you, can, you can see that they're struggling to believe it. They say, yeah, certain women of our company arrived at the tomb early and they astonished us. Mary Magdalene and, and some of the ladies went down to the tomb to, to check on Jesus' body and the stone was rolled away and there was angels there saying that Jesus had risen from the dead and, and, and you know what? We don't know what to do with that information. What, what happens when God does something in your life that is so profound 
and so significant that it messes with your theology and you don't know what to do with that information. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever have God do something that was just outside of the box that you put him in and then you're like, wow, Lord. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus kind of sits with them and plays dumb with them for a little bit and then he, he finally, in verse 25, he can't help it anymore. He stops, he goes, you foolish people. Slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Slow of heart. Slow of heart. Not prideful in heart, not arrogant in heart, not weak in heart. Slow in heart. That's a very interesting indictment. Very interesting. In fact, I don't know how many times Jesus actually says that except for this place. I'd have to go and do a little bit of Bible research to see how, how many other times that it says slow of heart. But I think that's a very interesting situation to be in. And when God does something significant in our lives that we should train ourselves and learn how to be believers quickly. How to believe quickly when God does something. You see, to, to be quick of heart rather than slow of heart means that you're more confident in what God is doing inside of you than what your head can keep up with. Amen. Are you with me this morning? Do you know what, you know what Proverbs chapter 3, verse 4, 5, and 6 says, don't you? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean what? Lean not on what? Your own understanding. You see, there comes a moment in time where God wants to do something significant in our hearts, and in that moment, it requires us to be quick to believe, not to lean on our own understanding. If I could, if I could paint a picture for these guys, uh, of these guys, it would be Proverbs chapter 3, and they would be leaning on their own understanding. Here they are walking along this road, and, and everything that has transpired has so filled them with grief and has so messed up their heads that they can't keep up with and can't rationalize and reason out what it is that's going on. Their thoughts have come to their end and now they just find themselves confused and frustrated by the confusion. Have you ever been there before? Are you there now? I'm here to tell you, if you are, it's okay. The Holy Spirit's got something better for you this morning. And this could be a watershed moment in your life. And you can have one of those did not our hearts burn within us moments with Jesus today. Amen? Ought not, look at verse 26, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Do you know what Jesus is saying to them when he says that? Guys, what do you mean you thought he was the Christ? Wasn't, didn't, Jesus, didn't Jesus say, I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to die, destroy this temple, and in three days I'm going to raise it up again? Didn't you read in Psalms? Didn't you read Isaiah? Didn't you read Jeremiah and Ezekiel? Didn't you know all the things that the Old Testament says about the Christ? You knew he was going to suffer. You knew he was going to die. And then when it happened, you're like, we thought this was the Christ. I mean, Jesus himself said to them, guys, I'm going to the cross. Peter tried to stop him. Do you remember? Peter tried to stop him and said, Lord, no, 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 no. Jesus said, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. My sister sent me a really funny video this week of, uh, of, of a guy on Instagram, and, and it's, it's, it's Jesus and Peter behind him, and Peter pops out from behind Jesus, and he says, 10. And Jesus is like, what? He said, you told me, get behind me and say 10. <laughs> Jesus is like, no, it's not what I said. And then the guy works it out. Do you get behind me and say to get behind me, say 10. Oh. Now Jesus, <laughs> Jesus had foretold of what he was going to do. And, and, and now he's reiterating that to them. Ought not the Christ to have suffered? 
Didn't you know this was exactly how it was going to go? I'm trying to put my, my lordship on display by raising from the dead, proving that I am who I said that I am, forever annihilating the curse of sin and death in the human race. This is all part of the plan, fellas. Didn't you realize that Christ was going to have to suffer? Why is that stopping you from believing? Slow of heart. And then verse 27 is one of the most profound verses in all the gospels. It says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I want you to imagine what it must have been like to listen to Jesus preach the entire Old Testament about everything that it said concerning him. Could you imagine? It must have taken some time. Right? The Bible says that this was a seven-mile walk between where they were in Jerusalem. And the Bible says that by the time they got to the house, it was dark. So it must have taken some time, but I could admit, couldn't you imagine Jesus saying, fellas, when Moses took the lambs and sacrificed them on the first day of Passover and took the blood of those lambs and spread it across the doorposts and the lintel of each home so that the angel of death could not come and touch the Israelites. That was a picture of the Christ. And then when, when later on when Moses received the law and the day of atonement was initiated and the high priest would take his hand and lay upon that sacrificial lamb uh, all of the sins of the entire nation of Israel and then they would take that lamb and set it free and let it run into the wilderness where it could be destroyed, symbolizing all the sins of the entire nation of Israel being taken away. And then when the high priest would, would take another lamb and kill that lamb and sacrifice it and take the blood from that lamb and go into the Holy of Holies once a year and sprinkle the blood of that lamb all over the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat on top of which was the very embodiment, the Shekinah of God's glory, the physical representation of the glory of the Lord in the Holy of Holies. And, and, and can you imagine he just went one after another, after another, after another. Can you imagine when he got to Isaiah 53? And, and, and he said that, that, that by, by, by Jesus' stripes, we are healed. He, when, when he got there and he said uh, that, that, that he bore our infirmities and carried our sorrows, the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him and by his stripes, we were healed. And he just began to preach and teach everything from Moses all the way through the prophets, all the things concerning himself. What was he doing in that moment? He was trying to get them to get their eyes off the circumstance and get their eyes over onto him. But their eyes were restrained. There was blindness. Even at the moment of Jesus preaching the word to them, they still didn't see. You know the story, they go in and he, he, he says, I'm gonna keep going. And they say, no, 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 come, come. And we're, we're home now, it's, it's, uh, it's dark out. Come on in, Jesus. They must have been very motherly. Come on in, no, 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 just come sit with us. And they sit down to break bread and, and Jesus does the exact same thing with them that he did at the Last Supper. He, he took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. And then when he broke it, he gave it to them. And as soon as he did, their eyes were open. And they saw that it was him and he was gone. Now, verse 32, after he vanishes from their sight, he says, they say to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us? While he opened the scriptures to us? Did not our heart burn within us? You see, this is the crux of a lot of what mine and Pastor Don's conversation was like coming and going from Kenya. I'm not interested in a social club church. I'm not interested in a church that has just a lot of great programs. 
I'm not interested in a church that just has great music and a beautiful building and nice comfy chairs. I'm not interested in just another church where another group of people can go and check off their little religious box of things that they have to do this week. Yeah, we went to church on Sunday. We went to Cracker Barrel afterwards. Now we're going to go home and watch football. I'm going to take a nap in my church socks. And then tomorrow, you know, tomorrow we're going to start the week off again. And it's just going to be another day, another dollar, another week, another grind, another here we go. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in did not our hearts burn within us when he spoke. I want to illustrate this for you and help you to understand it visually. That's why I got all this water up here. There are two Greek words for the word word in Greek. Now, I'm going to ask you to pay real close attention for just a second because I'm going to use the word word a lot for just a moment. Uh, <laughs> good word, amen. You know, Greek is such a, Greek is, is uh, Koine Greek is the Greek language that's used in the, that was used in the writing of the scriptures. What's interesting to me about Koine Greek is Koine means common. And so this was the common language of the ancient world. What's interesting to me is that it's now a dead language. The Greek that people speak in Greece is not Koine Greek. It's a much newer version of Greek. The Greek that was used to write the scripture is a dead language. Why is that important? Dead languages don't evolve. And so the, the beautiful thing is that we'll never be able to twist what the Bible says if we read it in its original context because that language is dead, so it's not changing. When it, what I mean when I say it's dead is that it's just not being used anymore, so it's not evolving. English is constantly evolving. So the, the beautiful thing about Koine Greek is that it was a very descriptive language. Um, we find this when we see words like love. We have one English word for love. Uh, the Koine Greek had four. Eros, storge, um, phileo, and agape. And then each, within each one of those four are different tenses and moods and different ways that they can be used. And so the, the Greek language of the New Testament is very complex. And so being that as it is, the, the Koine Greek has two words for the word, word. I guess this is where you're going to have to really pay attention. Two words for the word word. How many of you know what they are? Okay, I heard a couple people. Logos and rhema. Logos and rhema are the two words for the word word in the Greek language. Word. Okay? Now, can anybody tell me what the difference is between the word logos and the word rhema? Written and spoken, I heard that. Written and spoken, anybody else? Message, okay. Anybody else? God's intention, very good. Anybody else? Come on, class. You can, you can. All right, I'm going to break it down for you as simply as I know how to. And I've studied this quite a bit and have learned even more uh, in recent times. Um, the word logos, we actually get our, our English suffix ology comes from the word logos. So if you um, study animals, you are studying zoology. If you study the natural world, you're studying biology. You follow me? That suffix, ology, comes from the word logos. And what it means and what it represents is the thought and the wisdom behind a subject. So when the Bible talks about the word of God and it's using the word logos, it's talking about the, the sum total of God's thoughts, the sum total of his desires, his intentions, the wisdom that he thinks, the, his intention for the human race, his intention for the universe. Everything that God thinks can be combined and encapsulated in this word logos. Now, people often describe Logos as the written word because we believe God took all of his thoughts and his intentions and his desires and his will and everything that he thinks and put it in written form, and it's called the Bible. How many of you are thankful for your Bible this morning? 
Amen. So that's the word logos. It's the sum total of God's thoughts, the totality of his mental capacity and faculty built into this written word. And then we have the word rhema. What does the word rhema mean? Someone said the spoken word. That's true, but that only goes this far. Rhema is about this deep, and that only uncovers about this much of it. You see, the original, the original word for rhema, you have to dig down a couple layers into it. The root word of it literally means to pour or burst forth. So let me illustrate this for you, if I can, with, actually, I don't need this, with this pitcher and this empty container. I hope this doesn't fall over. I think we're okay. If the contents that are in this pitcher are the word of God, then the way that it sits right now could be defined and described as logos. Right? What happens when I take this and I pour it, it's now becoming rhema. When I stop pouring it, it's logos again. When I pour it, it's rhema. It's logos again. Rhema, logos. Rhema, logos. What, what word would you describe what's in here as? Logos. You see, why, why is all this important? It's because there's something profound that happens in the heart of a person. When God's word comes alive in their heart because he is the one speaking. We have miscalculated the relationship between logos and rhema by just, by just thinking of it as written word, spoken word. Well, you know, I got the logos here and then uh, I'm gonna speak it and when I speak it, it becomes rhema. It's not about you speaking it. It's about him speaking it. You see, in, in this picture is Logos, and as long as it stays in this picture, it's Logos. In this book is the Logos of God, the sum total of all of his thoughts, his identity, his abilities, his desires, his intentions, everything that he could even imagine, he's placed in the Logos, and it's been you know, preserved and contained for us in this word. What happens then when I only observe the word just to learn it mentally? It just starts as logos and it stays logos. But what happens when God takes his very logos and pours it into me? You want to know what happens? our hearts begin to burn within us. What did he say? Or what did they say in verse 32? Did not our heart burn within us while he talked? <laughs> did not our heart burn within What happened, Cleopas? The logos that was in them already, I mean, think about it. These guys have been with Jesus. They've walked with him. They've talked with him. They've seen everything that he's done. And so they've got some logos on the inside of them. I mean, <clears throat> the Bible says in John chapter one that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Which word for word do you think is used in that use of the word word? It's logos. So the Bible says that Jesus, who was the logos of God, Jesus is the perfect expression of all that God is. He came and he manifested himself in the flesh. These guys were around the logos all the time. They interacted with the logos. They had fellowship with the logos. They ate dinner with the logos. They spent time with the logos. They had some logos in them. They had the words of Jesus living in them. 
But there was something so significant that happened when he began to speak. That logos that was in them, that logos that he had, that he was the very representation of, became in their spiritual ears rhema. And when they became rhema, their hearts began to do something that it hadn't done before. Oh, our hearts began to burn inside of us. Why? Because the word, the logos of God, in that very moment became rhema the Spirit of God began to speak to them. Notice, did not our heart burn within us when while he talked with us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? Can you see in this example what it is that God actually wants to do in your life? He wants to open the scriptures up to you and cause your heart to burn within you. I have no more appetite for passionless church. I have no, hear me, hear me. I have no more appetite for passionless Christianity. Passionless church. How was church today, Pastor? Oh, it was good. No, you know what I want? I want a room full of people who say, did not our heart burn within us? When he, not Pastor Josh, he, the spirit of the living God, when he opened the scriptures up to us. that in the day that we live in we have a lot of logos consumption right here let me tell you what I think about this and then you go oh that was a good word and you file it away you pack it in and it just stays up here and then, and then we, 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 take the, we take the little Reader's Digest sermon that we got last week and, and we got the three points and we took good notes and, and, uh, and, and praise God, it was really good and now it's taken up space in our head and we start to walk through life and then all of a sudden we hit a situation that we don't have an answer for and now we begin to reason in our, in our minds and the whole time we're missing out on the rhema. We're missing out on the did not our heart burn within us situation. I just don't have room for that anymore. Time is short. Eternity's real. Jesus is coming back. People are dying, going to hell every day. We ought to have an appetite for heartburn, man. We ought to have an appetite for our heart to literally want to jump out of our chest when he begins to speak to us when he begins to open his word and open his scripture to us. There's something profound that happens when the scripture comes alive to you. And that's what I'm after. That's what I'm after. I love our structure. I love our organization. I love, I love all that we do and all that we've learned to do to, to make church function well. I'm all about that. Paul says we should do everything decently and in order. And we have figured out, we've learned a lot over the years about what decently and in order looks like. But heaven help us if we, if we lose sight of and lose track of the burning heart for the things of God. I just don't have time for it anymore, guys. Amen. Not a review, it's not a correction. I hope it's an encouragement. If you came in the doors this morning and you're stuck in that same mode that Cleopas and his buddy were in, where you're like, I'm just walking along the road of life and, I, and, and my eyes, I, I can't really see Jesus anywhere. I'm really confused as to what I should do. I don't exactly know what the next move is, uh, but I've got a lot of sermons that I've got stored up here. 
I want to invite you this morning to, to, to open your heart so that Jesus can begin to pour, so that he can begin to pour his word. Look, the contents are the exact same. Logos and logos. I mean, it's, I mean the, the, there's no difference between rhema and logos in terms of content. It's all God's word. It's all his thoughts. It's all his ideas. It's, it's, it's everything that he wants to communicate. The difference happens when the Holy Spirit begins to be the one that's actually doing the talking. And he is pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring into your heart. And then at some point, he just starts to spill out. That's what I want. That's what I'm hungry for. That's what changes people's lives. Anything less than that is just dead religion. Anything less than that, and we all become Pharisees. Some of you are nervous about the water dripping on the floor. Don't be. <laughs> Anything less than his voice causing his word to begin to burn in our hearts, anything less than that, and we all become Pharisees together. No thanks. No thanks. Church alive is what I want. I want to be the people of the burning heart. Now I'm going to invite you you can stand up to your feet. Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.